Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness, March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by a couple of candidates that I have for National Coach of the Year as we enter into 2022. Scott Drew from Baylor and Ben Johnson from Minnesota. First year with the Gophers doing an outstanding job so far this season. Also be joined by CBS Sports and senior writer from The Athletic, Seth Davis. We're going to go over Coach of the Year, Player of the Year, uh, some trends that we've seen so far this season uh, and coming out of this COVID pause for a lot of different schools across the country. My ranks for this podcast will be my top 11 Coach of the Year candidates. So the Omicron surge has obviously changed everything in America and across the globe here in the last couple of weeks. But I believe there's hope here for our sport. The number of postponements and cancellations does seem to be slowing a bit here in the upcoming week, maybe into the single digits per night. We'll see. Really, as odd as it sounds, uh, the high number of teams that have experienced a pause may actually help get this season in as much as possible. Timing, of course, is never good to go through a stoppage. We saw that a year ago. But if there ever was a period to have it happen, then it's over the holidays, beginning of conference play. That's probably the best case scenario. A year ago, if you remember, teams were getting hit with this in February, right before the tournament, and even in the tournament, as VCU couldn't participate. The WCC was certainly hit the hardest, with no games being played over the weekend due to COVID-related postponements and cancellations, both the men and the women. So they weren't able to participate at all. Teams did use this time, though, to get boosted. A number of schools are putting in vaccine requirements for all Tier 1 personnel on site, fans, and media. Although there is still a need for consistency because some of the policies don't always apply to visiting teams. So that needs to be certainly cleaned up. Uh, The NCAA Medical Advisory Group, which is aligned with the CDC, offers guidance and advice, but doesn't mandate. That's up to the health and safety departments in local counties. I have to keep reiterating that. Everyone loves to blame the NCAA. And of course, I'm not going to be an apologist here. I mean, there are issues. There's no question about it. But in this instance, the NCAA in Indianapolis does not control health and safety at every institution across the country. That is up to the local health departments. That's why you see different rules for masking and vaccine requirements at schools, even within leagues. So it can't even be like a league rule because what is good in Nebraska may not be good in Michigan and so on. So you have to remember that the NCAA Medical Advisory Group advises, guides, does not mandate. The best news of the week was when I interviewed Dan Gavitt from the NCAA, the senior vice president, because he reiterated the NCAA tournament will be played as scheduled at the first four in Dayton, eight first weekend sites, four regional final sites, and of course, the final four in New Orleans. The women are in Minneapolis. And there are no plans to bubble the NCAA tournament. We're not hearing that from the NBA or any other sports, so you're not going to see it for the NCAA tournament. Going back to my original point, timing of all this. So that means that we should get the season that we all hope once we get through the surge. 
And the certainty that we've seen so far is that Baylor is one of the best teams in the country and one of the teams to beat. That's why the Bears were our national team of the week, knocking off Iowa State as the Cyclones are no longer undefeated. Baylor is, USC and Colorado State, the latter two are on pause. But there's a lot of good basketball being played out there, as evident by our national player of the week, Kendrick Davis from SMU. They've won eight straight. They beat a UCF team, which beat Michigan. He's averaging 21 a game. So there's a lot of players out there that are being a little bit more unsung. But Oscar Shibway, has been a double-double machine for Kentucky. He's a national player of the year candidate. We've got to keep an eye on him. Uh, Auburn is playing absolutely lights out right now. I love the way they're getting up and down. They're going to be a problem for people. And Texas, even though they knocked off a depleted West Virginia, keep an eye on the Longhorns because I think they're finally gelling the way Chris Beard thought they would, especially defensively. So that's sort of a overall look at the landscape at this moment in time as we enter the first full week of 2022. So let's get to our guests. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Seth Davis from CBS Sports and the senior writer from The Athletic covering college basketball. Seth, a couple of quick topics here. First off, when I looked at the schedule this upcoming week, there weren't as many cancellations yet. I hope we've gotten through most of that. And I hate to say this, but if there was ever a time for this to happen, this is probably the best time. How optimistic are you that, I don't know, mid to late January through the rest of the season, we should be good to go? I'm by nature optimistic, as you know, Andy, and, and I'm trying to be optimistic here. I think there's reasons to be optimistic. First of all, in, in the greater picture, we've seen uh, in these countries that uh, had an, an Omicron spike, how quickly it plummets after the spike. Uh, and then I'm talking to a lot of the same people that you are inside the sport, um, largely coaches about getting their guys. Now, I think a big thing that happened was a lot of these players were not boosted. They were vaccinated, but not boosted. And frankly, I'm struck by how many of them uh, we're not boosted because they did not want to get boosted. I'm thinking you <laughs> you already got the two vaccines, like get the boosters, only half the dose. And so it takes time for that to go into effect. And then with the CDC variations about the shorter isolation times, I think what's happening are people are either getting boosted or they're getting the virus, which means it's cleared through, which means they don't have to get tested for 90 days. And then with the shorter isolation times. So, you know, this past weekend, I think approximately 50% of the games that were originally scheduled to be played were either postponed or canceled. I'm thinking, I said this in studio yesterday, that maybe say two weeks from now, I I'm hoping that's going to be closer to maybe 10%. And hopefully the worst is behind us. Fingers crossed, pal. Yeah. And the other thing too, is I can't tell you, I mean, it was, you know, I wouldn't say it was a ton of coaches, but the coaches I talked to who got it, who actually got symptoms said, I meant to get boosted. I just didn't get around to it. You know, Nico Medved, Josh Pastner, and I'm like, you know, one day you could have been down versus now 10 days because that was prior to the CDC. So, you know, I do think there's some degree of, and I don't want to point fingers, but a little bit of a failure also, you know, within these uh, programs and whether it's the staff or the medical staff, someone dropped the ball, not saying, hey, we need to get boosted. Or even I remember it was crazy. I saw that Rick Patino tweet at one point. He's like, yeah, we all got our shots. And now we have the flu because we forgot about the flu shot. How do you forget about the flu shot? You know, like there were loose ends that I think contributed to what we're dealing with. I don't think people were as focused on the booster as they needed to be. It was a little bit late from the government about kind of mandating it. Like a lot of people were saying, you know, you have to be vaccinated. Now that is part of the definition of full vaccination. So listen, it's chaotic. 
Uh, it's unfortunate in some respects. You make a great point about the time of year. I mean, mid to late December is when it's a quiet schedule anyway. And really, you cannot compare where we were this time last year. In fact, it was right about now. I think it was January 3rd or 4th, if I'm not mistaken, that the NCA announced its plans for the Indianapolis bubble, which it had spent many weeks working to put together. So that's not something that they can just throw together in the middle of February saying, hey, we got a problem here. Let's bubble the tournament again. We did it last year. I mean, it's much more complicated than that. You know, contracts and hotels and travels and sponsors and surveys from the networks on the various sites in the Final Four. So, you know, this tournament is going to happen as scheduled on site. Um, as of now, that's the plan. And hopefully that's what happens. Well, and obviously they take a lot of the lead from the NBA and Adam Silver's made it clear they're not stopping. They're not bubbling. So I think that that's a good indication. All right. On the court, a couple of quick items. First off, player of the year. I just want to throw this at you. You know, EJ Liddell to me in terms of numbers wise, efficiency, you know, he arguably could be the best player in the country. Long pause for Ohio State as they played Sunday night. So, you know, he was sort of off a little bit the last couple of weeks. Who else besides EJ Liddell do you think is in that top five as we head into 22? Well, I'll tell you who my choice would be right now, and that's Oscar Shibway. He has been unbelievable for Kentucky. Just the incredible passion and effort and resilience that he's put in on the backboards is incredible to me. It's, it's, it's almost frightening to think about where Kentucky would be without him. And people forget, you know, they're supposed to have C.J. Frederick, and uh, he had a hamstring that put him out for the season. So they have really no other backup on the interior. So the fact that he's been as good as he's been is big for me. And everyone kind of went away on, on Drew Timmy, but he's been very, very solid for Gonzaga. And then, uh, you know, I think Trevion Williams at Purdue, Keegan Murray at Iowa. There's really no sort of overwhelming favorite in that regard. And a guy who maybe is a little bit of a sleeper, I don't know if his numbers will bear it out, but certainly in terms of a team performance and his value on that team is James Akinjo at Baylor. I mean, I have to say he, he's been better you never know how a guy is going to adjust not only to a new school, but a different role, right? I mean, in Arizona last year, it was like, score as much as you can, score as much as you want, take any shot that you want. Now it's, we still need you to score a lot, but within the confines of our system. And obviously, you know, Baylor, after losing four starters from a national championship team to be undefeated, number one, and, and the prohibitive best team in the country right now, I think Akinjo has had the most to do with that of any player on that roster. And the other couple guys I would just throw out is let's see what happens with Illinois with Kofi Coburn because I've seen him be dominant. I was at their Missouri game and he was untouchable, similar to Oscar Shibway on the backboard. And then UCLA, they're going to end up going 34 days between home games, 24 between games. I want to see if Johnny Juzang can get on a run because he certainly has the ability. They're still a top 10 team. It's sort of out of sight, out of mind, but he has to be somewhere in this discussion if he reaches what he did last March. Yeah, he's got some making up to do, obviously. And he, he was playing okay before they went on the pause. Not great, not terrible. You know, you could make the case that Hawkes was actually their best player when they went on a pause. And, and that's going to be something that we're going to have to watch and evaluate on these teams. And guys like you and me, we, you know, we do a top 25 every week. And now we're kind of back to, you know, who's available. And then who's coming out of a pause? Like a team like UCLA... You know, you can't expect these young guys to miss all that time in practice and then get back. And I think that's part of the reason why they're taking so long to come back is that, you know, no coach wants to put his players in a situation where they could get hurt. They have to be careful kind of managing that situation as well. So Juzang's got some work to do in that regard, but if anybody can do it, he can. Well, and to that point, timing. I think if we were in February the way Baylor was a year ago, uh, you might feel like, oh, we got to get back on the court. We got to get back on the court. It's 
still coming out of the holidays. They have days to play with. So I think they're, you're right. I think, oh, let's take one more day. You know, we saw that with Illinois, Minnesota, where they pushed it a couple of days to make sure they were healthy. All right, coach of the year. I think a lot of great candidates, Tommy Lloyd, Arizona, uh, TJ Otzenberger, Iowa State, Scott Drew from Baylor, Ben Johnson from Minnesota picked last in the Big Ten, and they look like a tournament team right now, much like Otzenberger at Iowa State, Bruce Pearl and everything he's doing at Auburn. There are a lot of good candidates. Tom Izzo doing a great job even at Michigan State. Who jumps out for you here as we head into 22? Well, th- those first three that you mentioned are, are the ones that really jump out. It's hard to go against what TJ Otzenberger is doing now. Let- let's see what they do in conference play. Uh, they actually played Baylor pretty tough, but Baylor did lead uh, wire to wire. They ended up losing the game. But talking about a, a team that won two games a year ago, they're, they're-, they're going to hit the skids a little bit in the Big 12. You know, Gabe Kalsher has really, really cooled off from them. He had 30 points. Uh, when they beat Xavier, but he basically hasn't made a basket since then. And that's a little bit of a canary in the coal mine. And I just want to say this about Tommy Lloyd. It's pretty amazing to think that this guy sat next to Mark Few for 20 years before a school, the caliber of Arizona gave him that phone call. And I just think that, you know, you and I, we cover this coaching carousel so closely every year. I'm just struck by how unimaginative athletic directors are in making these hires. Instead of Recycle, and I, I I love guys getting jobs and, and getting hired. I'm not, you know, I'm happy for everybody, but you know, instead of sort of recycling people, how about discovering the next guy who's supposed to be that? And I think this year's Tommy Lloyd for me clearly is Jerome Tang. I mean, he came into Baylor with Scott Drew at the same time, and what Scott Drew has done at Baylor has never been done in the history of college sports in any sport the way that he is. You can't even see he's rebuilt that program. And Jerome Tang is just sitting there right by his side, doing it every step of the way. And no one at that level anyway has really called him. So I'm on a, I'm on a little bit of a soapbox for Jerome Tang and all the other assistants. Ben Johnson is another assistant in his first head coaching job in the Big Ten. There's a lot of really smart assistants out there who deserve a chance. And not just like a low to mid-major chance, but a, a power conference opportunity the way Tommy Lloyd Uh, has gotten at Arizona and is making Arizona look very smart for hiring him. Our last two topics, and they kind of work together in terms of teams and leagues as we head deep here. Baylor, the fact that Scott's got them in position with Jerome to be a back-to-back champ, see what happens, but they are in position to do that, is remarkable with what they lost and with where they have come from. Your quick thoughts on where Baylor stands in the chase for the title. Well, let's keep in mind that he could be in position for a three-peat <laughs> because when the tournament got canceled, they were headed for a number one seed. You're talking about replacing four players who started in the national championship game against Gonzaga. And again, I don't think there's, you know, we talk about the transfer portal and that explosion. There's been nobody clearly who has managed that portal better than Scott Drew, not just for the caliber of player that he's bringing in, but how they fit in the culture. I mean, a guy like Adam Flagler right now, he came in from Presbyterian. And, uh, you know, Davion Mitchell last year came in from Auburn. Jonathan Chamochachu was a bench player on a bad UNLV team. So he has found players that fit into that culture. Akinjo is probably at the highest level in terms of what he had done in the past. But, you know, defensively, they're dug in. How about the fact that a guy like LJ Cryer is their leading scorer, but he's coming off the bench? See, like a lot of guys have a thing about starting and Cryer doesn't. So that's what I mean by the culture, the way they're defending. Uh, you know, they had a great freshman, you know, Terra's ACL isn't even playing. Kendall Brown, another freshman's been great. So 
They have a, a really good chemistry and rotation and everybody's bought in. They're not going wire to wire undefeated. Let me spoil it for everybody. But the fact that here it is in January and they're undefeated ranked number one after losing four starters is just extraordinary. So that segues me to another team that could pull that off with a coach, and that's Purdue and Matt Painter, because now he finally did make the switch with Travion Williams and Zach Eady, because Williams was just playing better. Now in the preseason, it was Eady. But it's the same thing where he's got that much respect and credibility that Travion didn't question it at the beginning of the season that he would come off the bench. Your thoughts on Purdue? Well, I make no bones about that I'm openly unabashedly rooting for Purdue uh, to get to the Final Four. They haven't been there since 1980, which is before the year before Gene Cady got there. So Gene Cady's great as he was for so long, never got to a Final Four. Came close, a couple of lead eights, big dog, but uh, never got to a Final Four. Yeah, you know, the Edie Williams thing is so interesting because they're arguably two of the top 10 players in the country. And Jay Ivey might be a third top 10 player in the country, but Edie and Williams cannot be in the game at the same time. And it is an insoluble problem because not, you know, they tried to play some Williams at the power four, but he can't play away from the basket. Or why would you want, want to take him away from the basket? And even though I agree with you that over the last four weeks or so, Williams has been playing better at the end of the day, I just feel like Zach Edie is seven foot four. And that's a dimension that like, when nothing else is going right, you can just throw it up to him and he can dunk it. Concerns for Purdue is they're not really a very athletic team on the wing. So they don't outside have, AJ and Ivy. Well, he's an athlete, but not on the wing as far as a lockdown defender. He probably could be a very good defensive player, but he's so good offensively. You're not gonna you don't you don't want to put him on the other team's best player because you don't want him getting in foul trouble, you want him saving his legs. And then they don't really have that dynamic playmaking point guard. And Ivy's capable of doing that as well, but you don't want him passing to somebody else. So that's a little bit of a thing to work through. I trust in Matt Painter to be able to do that. And your point about Williams is well taken. In fact, when they won those two games up in Mohegan Sun and Williams played so well coming off the bench, I talked to him on the telephone and you know he had gone into the NBA draft and waited until the end and came back as a senior returning all Big Ten player. And yet he wasn't starting at the beginning of the season. And I said to him, well, how was that conversation with Coach Painter when he said that? And he said, well, we never had that conversation. Like, he doesn't ask me if I'm okay with not starting. It's his job. And Painter said the same thing. Like, it's not my job to make him happy with not starting. And so Painter makes these decisions when he's recruiting guys. And this is not a team of transfers now. These are guys that he recruited out of high school and have gotten better and have grown up inside this program. And uh, fingers crossed, Andy, I want that team in the Final Four because their fans are absolutely nuts. And they've been eating, you know what, from Indiana for way too long. And it's their time. So, boiler up, baby. All right, last two teams tied to two leagues. Gonzaga, Duke. Right now, you could argue the best game, full game, that we had so far this season. As of now, you know, the WCC might get as many, if not more, we'll see, teams in for WCC. We'll see with the ACC ultimately what shakes out. But... Your thoughts on Gonzaga-Duke, potentially Final Four winning the title. And you went to Duke. You've watched this league your adult life. What has happened to the ACC outside of the Blue Devils? Well, I was going to say it might be an interesting wager as to who gets more teams in the NCAA tournament between those two leagues because it's not inconceivable. The ACC could only get maybe three. I mean, you'd think as a numbers game, as I always say, hey, you know, you got to have what, 37 at-large teams somehow. So 36. 36, right? I always make that mistake. So look, as far as what's happened to the ACC, these these things are cyclical. There, there are some years where the ACC is dominant and the Big Ten is down or the SEC really sucks. Uh, this year, clearly it's the SEC and the Big 12 is, is your best two conferences. So the ACC is in, in a major down cycle. And it's kind of interesting because 
you know, if you're Duke and you're trying to build the case for a number one seed, you could win a lot of games in the ACC, but your profile might not look as good. You may not have a top 25 game. Correct. As of now, that's absolutely correct. That's my point. So, yeah, they're going to have a lot of wins, but how is that going to stack up against Kansas or Purdue uh, or a UCLA if they keep going. So I don't know. I mean, you know, Duke is is definitely young. I'm concerned about their point guard play. And, you know, to me, the, the X factor now is A.J. Griffin, uh, who's a freshman who didn't play for two years coming out of high school, which is very, very hard to do. And he's just now rounding into form. But I, I, I frankly have more questions than answers about Duke right now. I think they're solid, but I think they're very, very susceptible. And if they lose a couple in the ACC, conversely, Andy, those are – are bad losses. And kind of the same with Gonzaga. You know, I look, I mean, the, the expectations for Chet Holmgren were obviously sky high, anything short of him being Superman. And he's, uh, you know, disappointing, but I, I, he's certainly not disappointing, but um, he's not a very good three-point shooter, at least to this point. With his frame, he's not going to get most of his damage done inside, especially with Drew Timmy on the post. And as a team, Gonzaga is not a great three-point shooting team. They don't have to be great. They got to be good. So Bolton started off slow. He's shooting better. Now they go into the league where, you know, the level of competition isn't as high. So it would certainly not surprise me to see either one of those teams in the final four, but definitely some points of vulnerability that I can nitpick at, uh, even though they're clearly two of the best teams in the country. Well, Seth, happy new year. I am very optimistic that we're going to have a strong three-fourths of the season, the back three-fourths, I think, once we get through these next two weeks. Uh, I'm very confident. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed as well. I appreciate you, Seth. Thank you. Happy New Year, Andy. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, now time for Katz Ranks here on March Madness, March Madness 365. As I look at the top 10 candidates for National Coach of the Year as we begin 2022. All right, number one. Tommy Lloyd from Arizona, first-year head coach, former longtime Gonzaga assistant. Tommy Lloyd has Arizona as one of the best teams in the country. Heading into 2022, only one loss at Tennessee. They won at Illinois, destroyed Michigan and Las Vegas. This Arizona team can win the Pac-12 and make a deep, deep run in the NCAA tournament. At number two, Scott Drew from Baylor, fresh off winning the national championship last April. Drew started off 2022 with a win at Iowa State, undefeated 13-0, 1-0 in the Big 12. And the Baylor Bears are one of the favorites to win the national championship. Last time, a team won back-to-back, 06-07 Florida. And Scott Drew has the Baylor Bears in position to do so. At number three, Ben Johnson from Minnesota. First-year head coach, former Minnesota Xavier assistant, former player at Minnesota. Well, the Gophers were picked at the bottom of the Big 10. And heading into 2022, uh, one and one in the Big Ten. They split their first two Big Ten games, lost at own Michigan State. They won at Michigan. Unbelievable job Ben Johnson has done. They won a tournament in Asheville, North Carolina. They won at Mississippi State. They won at Pitt in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. So great start for the Gophers. A compilation of former players like Peyton Willis, who's back again, Eric Curry, who's finally healthy, Jamison Battle transfer, multiple transfers on this roster. Ben Johnson's put them together. They look like an NCAA tournament team as we enter 22. At number four, TJ Otzelberger from Iowa State suffered first loss of the season to Baylor at home to start the new year, but that was it. One loss. Picked last in the Big 12, the best league in the country. 
Gabe Kausher, former Minnesota player, Isaiah Brockington, former Penn State player, doing great things for Iowa State. TJ Otzelberger has the Cyclones looking like they're going to be a tournament team despite picked last. At number five, Ed Cooley from Providence. Senior-laden team led by Nate Watson. But there's a lot of questions about this Providence team, and yet the Friars have answered every challenge, except for one when they lost to Virginia in Brooklyn. But this Friar team won at UConn, crazy atmosphere at the XL Center. They have won at Wisconsin. I know Johnny Davis didn't play, but Providence looked the part like they are a team that can win the Big East. No question about it. This is one of the best teams. I don't want to say one of the best teams in the country, but certainly one of the better teams in the country. I think a top 25 team can win the Big East and challenge Villanova. And number six, Tom Izzo from Michigan State. Spartans lost twice, once to Baylor, once to Kansas, two of the best teams in the country that can win the national championship. And that's it. And Izzo has put together a roster where players have developed. That's what he does. Gabe Brown, Malik Hall, Tyson Walker transferred from Northeastern. He's bought in. A.J. Hogard has bought in. And Marcus Bingham has now emerged as a quality big. So there's no question that he's doing one of his best coaching jobs in a Hall of Fame career. And number seven, Andy Enfield from USC. The Trojans on pause entering the new year, but they're undefeated. Won multiple, multiple games away from the Galen Center. Road neutral. They can contend for a Pac-12 title despite losing Evan Mobley, one of the best players in the country last season. They got his brother Isaiah Mobley, who's playing very well. And number eight, Chris Holtman from Ohio State may have the best player in the country. And EJ Liddell knocked off Duke. Buzzer beater beat Seton Hall down in Florida. Lost at the buzzer to Florida. Lost in a crazy game to Xavier. This is an Ohio State team that can compete for the top of the Big Ten with Purdue, with Illinois. And he's had a lot of injuries. Justice Suing, Seth Towns. Uh, he's developed his guards. I love what Ohio State's doing under Chris Holtman. And number nine, Bruce Pearl. Look out for Auburn. Auburn could win the SEC. I mean, Jabari Smith could be the number one draft pick, but Bruce Pearl's got a team that's going up and down, exciting to watch, defending, scoring at will. Took apart LSU, which was previously undefeated. Auburn can win the SEC. At number 10, Steve Forbes from Wake Forest. This is a team picked near the bottom of the ACC, and yet there have been times this season where Wake Forest looks like they could be the best team outside of Duke in the ACC. Duke clearly the best team in the ACC, but Wake has played where at times they could be too. They may end up being four, lost to Louisville. We'll see how they handle North Carolina, but they are looking like an NCAA tournament team as we enter the new year. And I want to go 11 deep here because Todd Golden from USF has done an outstanding job with only one loss heading into the new year. Veteran team, plays the analytics well, and while Gonzaga is the clear favorite, and BYU gets a lot of love, and it's deservingly so. USF should be right there, I think, above St. Mary's, top three in the WCC. I think they're an NCAA tournament team, and Todd Golden needs to get his due. He's doing a great job with USF and the Dons out west. Need to get more recognition. Right now, I think he's the WCC Coach of the Year and certainly a candidate for National Coach of the Year. All right, so that's my top 11 in the chase for National Coach of the Year as we enter 2022. All right, now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Scott Drew, the head coach of Baylor. And Scott, no surprise, but I've got you my top three right now for Coach of the Year. It is early. It is the beginning of January. I know that. But you have put together an undefeated team 
through the non-conference. I know you have one more game, but you're getting into the conference play 1-0 with a road win at Iowa State. How difficult was it to put together this group after what you accomplished in winning the national championship last April? Well, first and foremost, thank you for having the Big 12 in your tier one. I yes, love of course. that. So that was that was excellent. And then as far as uh, any nice thoughts on our players or me, that's a team award because we're doing well. And so let's give credit where credit is due. And our staff's done a great job assembling this team. And the players have really done a great job buying in. And uh, the returning players have done a good job leading so far. Our past players that graduated did a good job making sure they were on point before they left for their NBA seasons. And uh, so far, so good. You know how hard it is to be undefeated in college basketball, but it's even that much harder now that the fans are back because you know they have a big impact on college basketball. But with everything that you lost and you know managing the transfer portal obviously is a whole new aspect of your job, what were you looking for in terms of the right players slash pieces to make sure that you were maintaining the level of excellence that you had most recently? Well, our staff did a great job in uh, not only seeing who was available, but most of all, picking and recruiting who we thought fit our culture and we could do a good job with and they could do a good job for us. So, I mean, there's players I could coach that I want to get the best out of them and our system wouldn't be the best for them. Um, And there's players that really fit and we do a good job with. So identifying who we can help the most, good business is both parties benefit. Uh, We've been so blessed with our freshmen. I know Langston Love, you haven't seen with the torn ACL, but him, Jeremy, and uh, Kendall are not only outstanding players, but great people and really fit in with our, our culture and uh, love working with them every day. And then James and uh, Dale, our two transfers, have been a blessing and delight. Uh, because of that, we're where we're at. So uh, they deserve a lot of credit for buying in and listening to the returning players. Why do you think James has fit so well here in what is now his third stop in college basketball? Well, first, I think uh, he's done a great job in wanting to learn, wanting to improve, wanting to grow, and he's had success where he's been. So sometimes you're like, hey, I was first in the Pac-12 and assists. I averaged 16 points a game. I know what I'm doing, but he came in and wanted to fit in, wanted to grow, wanted to improve his game. And because of that, he works extremely hard, but he he's working on the things that translate in us winning. And uh, he's done a great job with that. And a lot of it's due to our upperclassmen um, because they've done a great job in working with him and helping him as well. And our past players, Davion, Jared, Maceo, and Mark. So uh, those guys always pour into our guys because at the end of the day, players listen to players more than coaches. All right, Scott, I know you're always very positive, but when did you really know that you had a team that seriously could be in the chase to win it again? Well, this summer, we thought they showed qualities of just how hard they worked and how hard they uh, practiced how they enjoyed one another. It was a different group, but there were a lot of positive signs that, again, you never know how leadership's going to be. You don't know how chemistry's going to be. You don't know how injuries are going to be because each team, you have a couple key areas where you're a little thin, where you might not be able to handle an injury as well. And we've been blessed with those three. And this summer, we knew if everything fit, we would have a chance because we like the talent. We like their work ethic. We like their character. Everyone loves to throw on the word culture. (laughs) You know, everyone just throws it around. I know that. But people believe in it at Baylor. What is it about your culture in this program that works? 
Well, I think uh, uh, our priority of joy, Jesus, others, yourself. I mean, our guys do a great job playing for their teammates and not playing for themselves. And when you're sharing the ball today, we shared it with Iowa State 19 times. We need to share it more with us. But 13 assists, and I think uh, that translates. And what I mean by that is there's no better feeling than when a teammate gets you a ball and you're open and he trusts you. And then it's so much easier to go down and play defense, you know. But when you feel like you get looked off or you feel like you're playing with selfish guys, then it's hard to do all the little things that's required winning you've always had long athletic bigs wings what is it you always are looking for to make sure they defend you know you were that zone coach for a while now you mix a lot more man I mean but what is it that you're always saying you know what that's what works for me I get a player that looks like that well I think uh, our staff gets a lot of credit because first you want to get players that fit what you want athletically but more importantly winning and defense is so much about the intangibles and people that are going to buy in and fit in our culture, they're going to be coachable and do what we ask. Uh, at the end of the day, Andy, life's short. Me and you, hopefully we get 85 years or whatever. You want to be with people you enjoy. And uh, that's a big thing in our recruiting. We don't want to bring in guys we don't want to be with every day. And we're blessed to have great guys. All right. Well, you got a long Big 12 season ahead of you. Off to a great start. Appreciate it, Scott. Stay healthy. Uh, hopefully no long pauses like you guys had last year, which you were able to come back from. So uh, stay well, all right? Hey, Happy New Year. Thanks for all you do for college basketball. Appreciate you, Andy. Now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Ben Johnson. I wouldn't just say the new head coach of Minnesota because it probably felt like years already. It's like dog years, uh, how long the season's already felt because of everything we're all dealing with. But Ben, I'm going to say it. You don't have to say it. I think you've done one of the best jobs in the country so far. You guys are off to a tremendous start as we enter 2022, uh, splitting your first two Big Ten games giving Michigan State a pretty good game, and then winning at Michigan. You won a tournament in Nashville. You won on the road at Mississippi State. won on the road at Pitt. And you put together a squad that can compete for an NCAA tournament berth. Let's go back a little. When you got this job, what did you think was realistically possible in year one? You know, first off, obviously, Andy, I, I appreciate that. Realistically, you know, we didn't know. When we put this team together, it was more of a bunch of guys that I wanted to put together that had a belief that anything was possible, that type of mindset. And uh, what we really worried about and will continue to worry about is just the everyday process, what we have to do each and every day to become better individually and to become better as a team. And I think we have some older guys that understand that. If you don't take care of the little details every single day, that the big picture, all those dreams and goals and wishes, those are almost impossible or very hard to do. Um, so we just try to live in the now. Um, I'm big on, you know, not putting a ceiling on people that you work with every single day because you just never know what they're able to do. So, so often we hear, oh, this job's a destination job, that job's a destination job, and then it ends up not being the case. But you really are from Minnesota. You played there, you coached there. Um, this really can be a destination job. Why is the timing or why was the timing so right for you to be there now? No, it was. It was perfect timing. I know my my situation is obviously very unique. You know, not many people, their first head coaching job, get to coach at a power five, especially in the best conference in the country. So I get for me to get this job, a lot of things had to fall into place timing wise, situationally, socially, the structure and, and how our, our program was and the state that it was at, um, the leadership that's in place. Um, it all kind of had to really fit. You know, so for me, you know, obviously it was a blessing. You know, I'm very familiar with this area, this university, the state, the conference, 
And I just try to work hard each and every day to build this to something that that we can sustain. I think uh, Minnesota has always been a school where we've been able to win. Uh, we just haven't been able to sustain it at a high level. And so that's our goal each and every day to try to build this thing to something that that's really sustainable. And I could go down a laundry list of names and, and look, my, my kids, you know, they're not staying in state. I didn't stay in state. I don't think you have to stay in state, but there's a lot of talent in that state. And I don't think it gets spoken of enough about the talent in the state of Minnesota. Going back to, you know, Troy Bell, who ended up being a Big East uh, player of the year. Obviously, the Joneses, you know, had great success at Duke. Clearly, Gonzaga has mined Minnesota quite well the last couple of years. What is it about this state that has been able to produce so many elite players and that combination of trying to not get everyone, but at least get one or two every now and then again? Yeah, we've we've had a ton of talent. Um, I think even going back to when I was coming up, you had uh, Kyle Elamine, who was a couple years older than me, but you had Joel Prisbilla. And it just kind of trickled all the way down. You know, one, I think we have really good coaching that starts at the youth level, the high school level, the AAU level. I think we have a really good sense of just development. I think, um, you know, kids in this area take a lot of pride in in player development, a lot of pride in, in being coachable, being taught emphasizes, uh, you know, fundamentals with a lot of the youth coaches and that trickles to the high school. So I think all that kind of combined leads to to really good basketball. And so it is our job. I think, you know, everybody wants to, at every program, really make sure you kind of land the the in-state talent. I think that's always the goal. I think more importantly, though, it's got to be the right ones. I think the the pieces to the puzzle have to fit and you can't take them all as much as we all would want to, as much as the fan base would want to at, at every school. You, you just can't. So you just have to kind of hone in on the ones that you think fit your need and that you're able to get. And uh, and the ones that that you can, you know, you want them to obviously be good enough so they can they can help you move the needle as a program. So I love that you said fit because that's exactly what you did with this group. You know, Peyton Willis. You know, he's a little different because he came back to the same school. You know, he's bounced around. So he was familiar. But your transfers really all fit. And and you didn't have to go, you know, peer to peer. I mean, you know, you went technically, you could argue, one bid leagues up from William and Mary to GW, you know, a number of schools that you looked at and say, okay, does this player fit what I need for this puzzle? And then, of course, you had Eric Curry, who no one knew what he was going to be. When I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, you know, in June, he didn't think he was going to play at all. He was going to start being a GA, and suddenly, you know, he can, on a given night, maybe give you 18. So that's been a big bonus. But when you looked at the transfer portal, because I think you're a model for this of finding the right guys at the right time that fit, whether or not they were a star, you know, in their previous place. Exactly. I think that was the biggest key um, when we looked at, you know, how we're going to build this program in year one. You know, it had to be pieces that made sense for how we wanted to play and, and how we wanted to develop and grow the program. That started from who they were as people, their type of character, what they're made up of. But then I also had to translate to, OK, you know, what did they do at the previous school? What could they do here that would we think, you know, would translate over time? I think it's so hard. You know, you see all these guys transfer and they have big numbers. Well, it's really hard to duplicate those big numbers, especially when you're going up a level. So then it comes down to, okay, you know, when you watch them and you really break down their game, if they can't give you a 20, which where they got their own place, can they give you a consistent shooting? Can they give you a size defensively? Do they give you assist to turnover? Do they get you a feel in terms of IQ pace? So we really try to look at all of that once you kind of peel the layers back. 
And, and I thought that was just important. You know, we wanted to make sure that this year we surrounded everybody in that locker room with kind of like-minded people that were about the right stuff. And at the end of the day, they had to love basketball. They had to be competitors. They had to be, you know, students of the game. And, and I think that's where, you know, we did a good job and we were able to get guys in the locker room that really fit what we're going to do when they all had a chip on the show. They all wanted to prove that they were definitely good enough players that they could be consistent contributors on, on a winning program at this highest level. You know, we talked about all the different things that have happened for you at this time, because I think you would agree that maybe five, six, seven years ago, you weren't ready for a job like this, but you put in your time, you bounced around learning from different people. And then also, I would argue that the timing was right because people finally woke up to giving opportunities to those that deserve it. And whether it's a post-George Floyd world or not, the reality is whether they were search firms, athletic directors, presidents, finally said, look, we need to broaden the pool here. And you are a product of that in an earned way, and you've done an amazing job. How do you feel about the wave in this last coaching carousel that you were part of, of many of your peers having great success here in year one? Yeah, no, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I think, um, you know, if you ever want to change anything, it, it starts with the, the people that make the decisions at the top. I think there's been qualified people, whether it's men, women, white, black, different jobs across the country, especially in sports. The issue kind of has been that that pool hasn't been broadened. And now I think it finally has. And so when you when you open it up and you you make it a bigger field and you you interview more people or you are more of a diverse pool, I think things like this can happen. But I think it also goes back to like recruiting. It's got to also be a good fit. Right. You also want to have people be put in a situation where they can be successful and where it makes sense. And I think if you put people that are capable of doing the job, regardless of what they may look like in a position to be successful, then I think, you know, winning happens and good things happen. And, you know, just very fortunate here that, you know, my president, my AD, uh, all of administration was on board with me and, and kind of saw that. And then obviously, you know, goes back to the players, you know, without those guys believing in, in what we're doing here, none of this is possible. But um, I think it does. It goes back to just opening the pool and really kind of doing homework from the top down on, all right, who are the really the truly best candidates, regardless of, of what they might look like? And one last thing, Ben, what, what I also love, and we've talked about this before, is I do feel like there's a different sense of camaraderie within the profession that your peers, people older than you, especially within the Big Ten, want you to succeed. Uh, who, who is, who's done that for you, especially even within this league? Yeah, no, that's been um, that's probably been the most surprising thing in a good way. You know, right when I got the job, uh, I had a number of coaches, you know, reach out. Greg Gard, Steve Peichel, Jawan Howard, you know, Izzo, Painter, obviously Micah Shrewsbury, me and him kind of going in the same situation. So we've gone back and forth. But it, it is that it's I think especially, you know, a guy like Izzo, who I've known for a long time, who's getting a little bit older. I, I think those guys want the league in basketball to be in good hands. And I think they're just looking for the younger group of coaches to make sure that we understand, you know, how to do things the right way. And, um, you know, kind of talking to us about the privilege that we have and, and understanding um, that this is a, a definitely a special opportunity. Um, but I think that's important. I think that's also you know, my younger generation's job is to make sure that guys that want to be in this position, um, you know, in the in the future, you know, understand the whole thing so that when you are here, you're able to do it the right way. And I think that's all about. I think it's just about people that care about the game, 
that understand this league and the Big Ten, that want to see good basketball and want to be competitive. That's the kind of cool, exciting part about my experience so far and couldn't make me happier to be at the school and in the league that I'm in. We've done an amazing job so far. I know there's still a long way to go here in 22, uh, only a couple of games into the Big Ten season. You got to 18 to go as we speak, as you get ready for the gauntlet of the Big Ten to try to get into the NCAA tournament. Doing great so far, Ben. Appreciate your time. Yeah, Andy, I appreciate it. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness, March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As always, you can go wherever you download your podcast to find this one. We appreciate all the engagement across all our platforms, our team at Bleacher Report, Turner Sports, Warner Media, and of course, everyone at NCAA.com does an outstanding job getting this podcast to you via our social media platforms. Take care, everyone. Talk again soon.